Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thank you for tuning in to episode two of Beth's Bookshelf, the podcast which collects conversations with creative writers. Today's guest is L.E. Delena, the author of a new YA fantasy novel called Traveller. I got chatting with Ellie in this interview about her writing process, fan fiction, and there's even a little bit of book sniffing talk. Ellie is a wonderful person to chat to, and I hope this episode leaves you feeling inspired. Here we go. So, you're the author of a much-anticipated novel, in my mind, Traveller, which is soon to be released, very soon. It's two days, isn't it? Tuesday, Oh, yes. that's so exciting. I bet you can't wait. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm beyond excited. In fact, I'm so excited at this point, it's almost to the point of numb, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, I just don't know how to feel anymore. Amazing. <laughs> Would you like to give our listeners an overview of what Traveller is going to be about? Sure. Um, Traveler is a young adult fantasy, and it deals with the story of Jessa, who is, of course, your average teenage girl who thinks she's nothing special, um, but she does have a gift for writing. And one of her favorite subjects to write about is a young man that she keeps constantly seeing in her dreams. She has very vivid and very lucid dreams, and she keeps writing about him as a character. And one day she happens to encounter him. And um, he has shown up to tell her that she has a, another gift she's unaware of. She's a traveler. Travelers can move through mirrors into alternate realities. And when she steps through these mirrors, she steps into another version of herself. So we actually meet many, many Jesses across many multiple realities. And Finn, the young man who she's been dreaming about, um, is also a traveler. And he has come to let her know that She's being murdered systematically in all of these other realities, and they're trying to get to the bottom of it. So that's essentially where the story begins. Oh, that sounds brilliant. So I heard there's a lot of uh, misconceptions that it was going to be about time travel. So it's purely just shifting through alternate universes. I, I'm guessing it's because there's a pirate ship on the cover, So and, and there's a mention, of course, it's in there somewhere, but um, in an alternate reality that Jessa goes to, <clears throat> it's sort of a steampunk kind of a reality. So, of course, there are corsets and things are a little old fashioned looking. And she happens to run into a pirate version of Finn. So there's a lot of talk about pirate Finn because he's incredibly charming and terribly dashing and a whole lot of fun in the book. All that brilliant stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so are you a big fan of uh, other narratives with alternate realities, like Once Upon a Time? I am an enormous fan of Once Upon a Time, and that's, quite frankly, who I owe my writing career to. Um, I, uh, seriously, and, and anyone who reads my book will, of course, ha- see an obvious nod to Killian Jones. In oh, he's brilliant. He, he's absolutely a chip off the old block, but... Um, I started out writing Once Upon a Time fan fiction, believe it or not. Um, the only fan fiction I write, and I resisted the call of fan fiction for years because there's such a, a stigma attached to it in a lot of ways because there's a lot of bad things. Yeah, there you know, and, um, but when you do find a gem, it's really fantastic. And I had a story looping around in my mind. And like any 
any writer, I have six or seven half finished projects laying around all the time. And I had never finished a book. I, I had lots of ideas, but had never really finished a book. So I started writing fan fiction and I wrote this fiction out that I wanted to do. And I got a lot of really good reviews on it. And that led to another and another and another. And pretty soon I, I stood back and looked at it and realized, you know, when you've written 85 to 100,000 words on a fan fiction, you've written a book. Yeah. You know, and I was churning them out pretty quickly. I was getting these done in, you know, 45, 50 days. And I said, you know, if I can write 2,500 words a night in fan fiction, I can sure as hell do it on my own work. And why aren't I doing that? So I sat down and just got disciplined and put my head in it and just really finished, finished a book or two or three. And I've just kept going from there. And I did some self-publishing on, on in romance under another pen name that I use. So I've got a few books out there that I've self-pubbed. And then I thought, you know, I really need to take this to the next level and actually try to get myself traditionally published. And I had the idea for Traveler in my mind that I'd already, you know, fleshed out and start working on. So I went from there. But I never would have had the impetus to actually think I could get it done if it hadn't been for the for the fan fiction. And that's the truth. And my fan fiction readers are very loyal They've followed me and bought my books and, you know, frequented my blog and friended me everywhere and shouted me out. And I just I couldn't be happier with them. They're wonderful people. And they've all been instrumental in my success. So I owe a lot of this to fan fiction, believe it or not. And once upon a time. So. <laughs> it sounds brilliant. Um, so the inspiration for your characters, aside from Finn, who's got a little bit of inspiration from Killian. Um, how did you form Jessa and how did she come alive? Jessa is, you know, most authors try to write themselves into the book any way they can. Um, but Jessa is a strange conglomeration of, I, I have my own, I have a daughter who's 15, who's brilliant and she's fierce. She's just a fierce person. Um, but she's not nerdy like Jessa is. <laughs> That's more me. So I would say she's, She's sort of a conglomeration of of me and my daughter and probably the best versions of ourselves. You know, um, it, there's a little bit of, of romanticizing when you're writing a bit of yourself into a character. So Jess is a writer, of course, and she's a nerd girl and she's a dreamer. But more than that, she's brave in a way that I never would have been at that age. And my daughter is just one of the fiercest people I know, and I adore her. So I've got a little bit of her in there. Yeah, a lot of writers tend to sort of try well, to put themselves in, don't they? Yeah, I don't think you can help it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little bit of vanity maybe to write some of yourself into a character. But it, to say that Jessa is me would be a complete <laughs> fallacy because I, I just... I don't know that I could land on my feet the way she does. Um, and that's part of what makes Jessica so intriguing. You know, she gets thrown into herself into so many different situations. And part of being a traveler, as you learn it through the book, is that you have to be able to roll with the punches. You've got to be able to take whatever situation you land in and just keep going. And um, another thing about travelers is they're not just haphazardly shifting realities for the fun of it they're directed to go to these realities to make small changes that end up snowballing into larger consequences down the line. And the reason they're sent to these other realities is they're not supposed to affect those kind of changes in their own realities because they're too invested in their own realities. So they're sent to these opposite realities and it may be something as small as recommend that book to that girl. And by recommending that book, she reads the book. There's a character in the book she identifies with that makes her think of her sister. She calls her sister, whom she hasn't talked to in five years. They reconcile. And from that reconciliation comes, you know, 15 other terrific decisions that somehow influence the entire world around them. And it's little tiny changes like that that you'll see throughout the book that change the fabric of reality as we move along. So... That that was it was sort of a, a requirement that Jessa be very very resilient. That sounds really cool. I I think a lot of the time it's actually an accident that writers put themselves into stories. I think <laughs> when you're so closely invested in a project, you can't help but make it personal, at least in some way. Well, it would have to be. You know, if you're not personally invested in these characters, then why would your readers be? 
You know, they always say, write the story that you'd want to read. And truthfully, you know, you, if you don't feel intense love and intense hate and intense fear and intense, you know, angst over your characters, then you can't expect anyone else to either, you know. Yeah, that's very true. What was your writing process like with the story other than it? being started with fan fiction was it very enjoyable was it intense have you had days of smashing your head against the laptop <laughs> absolutely absolutely i'm oh, it's it's been a real journey because i had originally planned for traveler to be part one of a trilogy and i had it very set in my mind that you know book a does this and book b will do that and book c will wrap it up by doing this and when I first submitted it to the Swoon Reads contest, um, it was a very different book in some ways. Um, they've managed to keep the crux of the story as we've gone through the editing process. But there were some things that got carved away because they muddied up the story or because they really weren't absolutely necessary. And I had a grand ending to the whole series planned out in my head. And in some of our conversations with the editor, we sort of scrapped that grand ending and went with an earlier alternate ending that I had come up with. And and it's going to be much better. But in that process of carving things out, it essentially carved out what I had originally planned for the second book. So I have to write book two almost from scratch. Um, we turned it from a trilogy into a duology which I'm actually kind of grateful for because I, I really only had a rough outline for where I was going after this book. So it's letting me condense things a little more and address things a little better. But in writing Traveler and in going through the process of, you know, all the rewrites and the edits and getting it into a more cohesive story, it's, you know, it's been a real process, but it's been a good learning process. You know, I self-pubbed before and I did have editors and beta readers who helped me out with that, but but my stories re remain essentially unchanged. Um, but when I went into mainstream publishing with a big five publisher, it's a whole different ball game. And, uh, you know, it's caused me not only to learn the little tricks and tips that make a book much more readable and much more catchy. I, For instance, I have a habit of writing very slow beginnings. You know, my book usually catches on somewhere towards the second two thirds and then it gets rolling. And, uh, you know, I'm learning a lot more about, no, let's let's get them right into the action. Let's start it right away. Let's get it rolling from the beginning because you're going to lose these people if you don't hook them in the first chapter or two. And, you know, things like that are really coming to me a lot more organically now. So it, it's been a journey and a really good one, you know. <laughs> and, yes, many, many days of me beating my head against the keyboard. I, I can remember so many times staring at the at the monitor and thinking, I've got nothing. I've got nothing, nothing. <laughs> there are times when you just, yeah, you literally have to step away. You know, you go for a walk, you, you call up a friend, you get on Facebook and go, all right, everybody, my girl has to sing karaoke and she has to sing a really embarrassing song. Somebody give me a title, you know, and we go from there. So, you know, my friends have been really great about me shouting out little things like that. And sometimes a little kernel will get things cooking and then I'm, I'm good to go again. Um, and sometimes you just need to sit on your couch and watch Stargate Atlantis from beginning to end. And, you know, <laughs> and it, it, it's just a process. And the big thing to remember is to do it, just to keep writing. Even if you feel like you're writing crap, even if you feel like you've got nothing worth, worth reading today, you need to keep writing. Um, you know, published books are published books because someone finished that book. And that's that's the critical thing. Yeah. It sounds so silly because it sounds so basic to anyone who doesn't write, but the hardest part is actually putting words on paper. Like, the first draft is yeah, such the long process. Oh, it is. It is. And it's crap. First drafts are always crap, and they're meant to be crap. Um, I do my best writing on the revisions, always, always, um, because, you know, that's when you really get to get into the meat of it and see how many different directions you can take this. And sure, carving out a chunk of your book is always hard. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like losing a limb sometimes when you've written what you think is a brilliant scene. But when you go back on the reread and realize that, oh, excuse me, my cat is sneezing. 
Come on, finish up, sweetheart. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, when you go back on the rewrite, reread and realize that this scene is doing nothing to move your plot ahead, and it's doing nothing to advance the growth of your characters, but it's still a brilliant scene. It's hard to cut, you know, but I always, I always um, keep those scenes like in a separate, what I call an overflow file. And who knows, maybe that scene will show up in, an, in another book somewhere. Um, but it's just not working right now. And it's not working for this. And, you know, Stephen King always says, kill your darlings, kill your darlings, kill your darlings. And sometimes you've got to kill a darling or two. <laughs> and I will assure you that was so incredibly true in Traveler. Um, you know, I made a, a very big choice with the ending of the book that doesn't fl- follow your normal linear romance type ending. Um, the ending is, is a very deliberate and very hard choice to make for me. And, and it's, it's an enormous plot twist. And I literally leave the book on such a cliffhanger and, you know, when you're a debut author, to leave a book that way is kind of risky, but it was it was right. It was the right choice for the book. And hopefully, judging from the early reviews, I think I've got some people on board. So <laughs> let's hope everyone agrees with me on that. Oh, I can't wait to read it. It sounds like one where I'm going to end up screaming at the end. Though. <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those where you're either going to be jumping up on your couch and fist pumping or you're going to be throwing the book at the wall. So I'm sincerely hoping that you're going to be fist pumping, but I certainly was when I wrote it. So, and of course, after we're done here, you just give me your address, sweetheart, and I'll make sure you get a copy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> At least I can do. Thank you very much. So your publishing uh, process, similarly to Danica from our last podcast episode, yeah. you're, you're with Swoon, aren't you? So was your book also crowdfunded? Um, no, I, well, I had already brought, you know, I had already done, the book was done. I had um, workshopped it thoroughly. I had been querying it right and left. I, I had taken it to various writer conventions and done workshops with editors on it. And I always got really terrific response. But, you know, once you start querying out into the darkness, it's it's just crickets chirping and no one gets back to you. And I was getting really disheartened by that. And I was on several writer boards. And, you know, the only good thing about it was everyone else had the same experience. You know, this this editor met with me. She loved my query. She thought it was terrific. She asked for the first 10 pages of the whole manuscript and never got back to me. And that was over and over and over again. You know, it's been six months. Should I nudge them again? It's been a year. Should I nudge them again? You know, um, and it's it really is. It's it's a hard process and it's a demoralizing process. I, I really think most of the writers that are out there that got published got that way because they just plain didn't give up. Um, and you look for ways to better your craft, of course, everywhere you can. But, but yeah, it was a really demoralizing process. And then I saw the contest for Swoon Reads. And I thought, you know, I had some trepidation because you have to put your book up on their website for six months and you can't bid it out anywhere during that time. And it's available for everyone to read on their online reader. No one can download it, but still, it's out there for anyone to read. And I had some trepidation about it at first. I thought, well, six months, you know, six months I can't bid it anywhere. That's six months I can't query it. But at that point in time, I'd already invested almost a year into the book. And I thought, you know, I've got nothing to lose and everything to gain from this process because People will be reading it. People will be giving me feedback. Maybe my book isn't as good as I think it is. And this will be a good way to find that out. You know, a lot of my beta readers are people who have been with me forever and they love everything I write. So maybe this is a chance to get a new pool of beta readers and see, you know, where I need to revise this thing and try again. So I put it up on the site and I honestly thought (laughs) I thought it had been a bad move. Um, I was coming up on the end of my six month period. There were books in that cycle um, that had gotten hundreds and hundreds of rave reviews. I had 21 reviews, and they were all very good, but only 21. And I thought, well, you know, I'll take it down. I'll revise it again. Maybe I'll send it through. Um, Amazon has a has a publishing platform called Kindle Scout that pays a very, very, very modest advance and let you release it as an ebook. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just do that. 
And three days before the, the period was up was when I got the call that they were publishing. <laughs> oh, that was a close call. <laughs> yeah, it was something. Um, and, and wow, what a day that was. Um, I'm a single mother and I work two jobs and I have a special needs child. My son is autistic and that features very prominently in the book. I have a character with autism who's who's a very wonderful character in the book. Um and, you know, I, I don't necessarily live live a fabulous life here. And I think I had maybe $2 in my bank account when they called to tell me they were buying my book. And it was a fabulous, fabulous day. Let me tell you, I was dancing around. And one of my neighbors, God bless them, brought me champagne because I couldn't afford to go out and buy my own champagne. <laughs> and it's it's just been literally like a living a dream since then. It's It's been fabulous. Oh, that's such a sweet success story. That sounds wonderful. You won't yeah. believe uh, how many writers tell me it was always when they were just about to give up that they got that yeah. call. But, you know, the funny thing is I, I don't think I could ever give up. Uh, yeah, I can't remember when I was never not writing. I've always been writing in some form or another. But, but yeah, it, it does... It gets wearing and there comes a point where you just want to throw in the towel and now you have the option of going, well, I'm just going to self-publish it, you know, and that's pretty much where I was. I was at the point where I thought, well, I'm, I'm never going to get picked up by a mainstream publisher, so let's just call it a night. And oh, thank goodness. I <laughs> Thank goodness I was, you know. Yeah, I hung on those three days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lucky, those three days made a difference. They made a difference, so. So, yeah, now I'm with Swoon, and it's been a wonderful experience. Um, if any of you out there are looking to um, get into young adults, Swoon now accepts manuscripts from all of the young adult genres, not just romance. Um, they take everything. They take horror. They take mystery. They take it all. Um, so I would really recommend it. I thought it was a really good process. And you always have the option, if you're not chosen in a certain cycle, to resubmit again and again, if you'd like. So that gives you a chance to, to read your feedback, to maybe revise, to try it again. Um, I think it was a fabulous process, and I learned a lot from it. That sounds really incredible. Sounds like a great learning process. Yeah, it was. And, you know, the funny thing is, I was telling someone the other day, um, you know, about the whole thing about how I got chosen. And I said, you know, I got lucky. You know, they chose me. And my friend said, how are you lucky? She said, you, you worked on this book. You revised the book. You worked on it. You revised it again. You worked on it. You queried it. You workshopped it. You put it up on this site. People gave you feedback. And then they chose you. She said, how is it luck? <laughs> she said, it sounds to me like you wrote a book. It's your work. And you put your work where some people could finally read it and notice it. And then you got chosen. So I wouldn't call that necessarily luck. And I said, you know, you're right. I've been telling everyone I was lucky enough to be chosen. And of course, it feels like luck to me. But the truth is, they're publishers and they wouldn't have chosen my book if they didn't think my book was going to make them money. <laughs> so obviously, you know, there's there's a little bit of both in there, I think. Yeah, a lot of hard work has gone into it. What was it like writing about certain touchy or like taboo, sensitive subjects? Like with Jessa being murdered or like dying in every universe what was it like writing I don't know how much it focuses on it because I haven't read it yet but what was it like writing about death in that way um well because Jessa was murdered in these other realities of course we don't see her directly experiencing it um although during the book there are attempts made on her life again and again and again so Jessa narrowly escapes death multiple times um but we do see the effect that it had on Finn. Finn has watched her die in many, many realities. And one of the things about shifting into another reality is once you step into the version of yourself on the other side of the mirror, you get all of their memories and all of, all of their accumulated experiences that you can access. And like any memory, it doesn't all flood in on you at once. Something has to trigger that memory or you have to actively search for that memory. So there are times when Jessa hits the ground in another reality and doesn't know what's going on until she think, tries to think back about it. Um, so there are some surprises that hit her that she wasn't expecting, even though she's got the, the memories of this person, it takes a moment for her to link it all up. Um, and, and we see the effect that, that Jessa's death has had on Finn because he's lost her over and over and over again. And 
Jessa and Finn in all in you know these mil- millions of multiple realities always manage to find each other. So clearly we've got a case of soulmates here, but you know it's hard enough to lose your soulmate once, but to lose her again and again and again and have the the memory of having lost her every time you step into a reality where she's gone. Um, and it's it's had a definite sobering and hard effect on Finn to the point where when he first shows up with Jessa, there's there's a little bit of a wall between him and her because he doesn't want to let himself get invested again. He, he doesn't want to to fall for this Jessa again and lose yet another Jessa. And it's it's a running theme through the story of love and loss. Oh, man, it sounds like I'm going to cry when I read this. <laughs> there are some definite feels in there. There are some definite feels. Um, yeah, it, it's hard. In fact, the, the book actually starts out with a look at, at Finn's reality and, and how he lost his Jessa. That's the actually the opening prologue. And it's it's a rough death. <laughs> it's a really rough death. So we're going to cry on the first page. <laughs> it's, you know, you're not going to see him holding in her in his arms as her life leaks away. It's more of a dangerous situation. But but, you know, you know, the weight that it's it bears on his soul and you see it again and again through the book. So, yeah. And of course, all the, the multiple times someone tries to kill this Jessa come into play as well too because you know finn is absolutely determined that this jessa is not going to die he's going to save this one. Oh, it sounds like a very very sweet little romance going on uh, i'm really excited to read it <laughs> but i'm not as excited as you for it to come out though <laughs> i'm in the middle of writing the the sequel now i'm it's a i'm in final revisions but boy it, it the whole series is going to wind up with a tremendous bang but but this first one, you know, Traveler is just so near and dear to my heart. It, it's been a real labor of love for a couple of years now. And, you know, it's not just so much how, how far I've come as a writer. It's also how far the characters have come. And I've fallen so desperately in love with all of them. They're, they're, they really are just terrific. It's not just Jessa and Finn, but Jessa's got a friend named Ben, who's just the the greatest guy in the whole world. And you're going to love him. And, her brother Danny is such a wonderful, humorous character, and Jess is just so rooted into her world, and it's it's an adventure for her every time she leaves it, but she never loses those roots, and I think it's wonderful. Uh, is Ben a character that has autism? Uh, no, no, no. Ben is her best friend. Uh, the character with autism is Jess's elder brother. His name is Danny. And as the mother of a, a son with autism, it was important to me write this character in a way that I think is more mainstream. Um, a lot of times in literature, you're finally starting to see autism addressed more in literature, which is a terrific thing. For a long time, people with autism were just non-existent in literature and in movies and television, and now we're seeing it a lot more prevalently. But what we're seeing is what I like to call the super Asperger's autism type people. They're the Sheldon Coopers from the Big Bang Theory. They're right yeah, they're temperance Brennan from Bones. You know, they're they're very, very verbal and they're very, very intelligent and they just have really bad social skills. And while that is certainly a part of the spectrum and autism is a spectrum that encompasses a wide variety of, of things, um, it's certainly not all of it and it's not even the majority of it. So I wanted to write a person with autism who, first of all, had average intelligence Danny isn't a super intelligent person by any means. Um, he also has common communication difficulties that you find in people on the spectrum. He takes things very literally. He has a hard time choosing the right words sometimes. And what Danny does is he uses a lot of movie dialogue. Sometimes he'll say lines that he likes from movies because he thinks it's applicable here and he doesn't know the right words to choose. Or... Um, you also see some of what we call echolalia, where he repeats himself. He'll ask you a question and then he'll repeat it again, or he'll ask it again in another way because he's concerned about the answer. So he might ask you the same question three or four times. And Danny also has a tremendous sense of empathy. And that's something you see pretty much written out of characters with autism. It's as though they don't experience it. And I can tell you, as the mother of a child with autism, my son feels things. He feels things very greatly. In fact, maybe the problem is he feels them too much. 
And Danny has a tremendous amount of empathy. He just doesn't always know how to communicate it. And he has a great sense of humor. And he he's just a, a lot of comic relief sometimes in, in the story. But the main reason I wanted to put him in there wasn't just to represent people on the spectrum. I also wanted to represent the siblings of people on the spectrum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Because Jessa, being the sibling of a special needs child, makes you grow up a little more than you have to, I think. And it's a very challenging thing, but it's also a very enriching thing. And a lot of Jess's resilience comes from the way she's had to grow up with a sibling who demands a lot of time and attention early on. And I think the skills that she's learned in communicating with Danny and having to communicate around some of Danny's little quirks and eccentricities hold her in really good stead when she moves on to these other realities. So, you know, that was an integral part of the story. It's certainly not all of the story, but it it adds to it tremendously. That sounds like a really brilliant representation, actually. I was going to say to you myself that I think it's really important to represent autism properly and portray it well and not I was going to say exactly the same example. We don't need a, any more Sheldon Cooper characters. We have yeah. so many. <laughs> yeah, and I also I didn't want to present autism in a way that made anyone think, oh, poor Danny, you know? Oh, poor Danny, the poor guy. You know, Danny's living a great life, and Danny's liking his life. And, yeah, he's got his little quirks and his little eccentricities, and by and large, everyone around him just accepts that. And... And you don't see it as a big glaring thing that everyone has to work around or or work in spite of or, you know, get over. It's it's just part of who he is. And everyone around Jessa, you know, Jessa's family and her close friends and even Finn accept that about him automatically and just roll with it. Yeah, which is just like what it's like in most cases in real life. Exactly. Yeah, I, I wanted a, a realistic, everyday sort of depiction of what... <laughs> What autism should be. So, what do you think of the current representation of mental health and other related issues in literature? Do you think it needs working on? Um, I think it does, but I think we're headed in the right way. Um, I, I've seen a lot more good, positive representations of not just autism, but other sorts of disability, you know, dyslexia, ADHD, you name it, um, being incorporated a lot better into literature and addressed in proper ways. And, and that also includes mental health issues as well. And I, I think we're definitely moving in that direction. There's a lot more um, addressing of those kinds of, of behaviors and and people who, who have to live and work in this world with these kind of 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 things to you know as personal challenges so i'm seeing more of it and i think we're 
we're headed in the right direction. We're not quite there yet, but the fact that we're moving in that way is a really good thing. You know, in literature for the longest time, you know, everyone was <laughs> white and beautiful and straight. And, you know, they all had these mundane sort of things that they you know, did. And then there was one big thing they had to fight against. And it was never never an internal thing or never anything to do with who they were, their level of privilege. And we're seeing a lot more of, of people having to work with a lot of different things, bombarding them from all different sides, whether that's, you know, an autism diagnosis or the fact that they're lesbian or gay or, or, you know, dealing with um, a mental health issue in their own family. And we're seeing a lot more of that. And that's much more representative of real life. And that's where we need to be. Yeah, I think in the last three years, there's been a huge development in how certain issues, for want of a better word, are portrayed in literature. I I particularly like it, and I, and this is why it's making me look forward to reading Traveller even more. <laughs> when these issues are put into fantasy genres in particular, because mm-hmm. as you just said, I feel like fantasy novels even five years ago, like it wasn't that long ago, were very much here is my white straight protagonist and here is this huge, huge thing they've got to battle. And I think now it's not just about the huge evil, it's not just about the others that they've got to battle, they have their own personal issues that they've got to deal with. And me me being a typical fan, I'm gonna bring up Harry Potter. Like he's not just yeah. he's not just battling Voldemort. He's got like issues with probably PTSD and Certainly abandoned issues and yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and the whole pressure of being the chosen one, you know, the good Lord. What that must be <laughs> you know? Yeah, as fun as it sounds. Yeah, probably not so great in practice. But yeah, I think fantasy of all the genres has always been a little more accepting of that kind of thing. So they were probably on the forefront of that movement. Um, But as you said, it's only been in the last, you know, four or five years that it's really started to take off and, and move in those directions. And let us examine more of the things that make us who we are. You know, we don't have to be this cookie cutter, like you said, white straight protagonist anymore. We can have things that influence us all around us and inside us. And those things play into a much deeper and much richer character. They really do. And those are the characters you want to read. Yeah, there's been, I think, particularly with fantasy, it needs to involve those things. I know, I know it's fantasy, but I feel like we still need a bit of that reality in the narrative. Yeah, I mean, you can be in a magical world flying a dragon and wearing armor and carrying a sword, but you still have issues. <laughs> oh, my God, we need that on a fridge magnet. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you don't have issues, then you've got a boring story, you know? They slay the dragon, it's done. No. How about if the dragon is really inside them? How about the thing <laughs> they play is what's inside them? And then that, once they get that empowerment, then they can slay the dragon. You know, it's, it's all about who they are and the things that make them who they are. And that's not just their beautiful blonde hair or their sparkling blue eyes or their, you know, rippling muscles. It's, it's about, you know, the things that shape them. Yeah, real characters make for great stories. And we're definitely seeing more, more and more relatable characters Mm -hmm, in the last mm -hmm. few years. It's been a, it's been a good decade for literature, I think. (laughs) I think so too. And I think it's just going to keep getting better now that that door's been opened and seriously flung open wide and ricocheted off the door jam. I think we, we're finally going to be getting everything we want in literature. I really do. What aspects of Traveller are you most excited for people to be exposed to in two days? Two days! Two days! Um, <laughs> um, just the whole mind-boggling magic of it all. Um, you know, Jessa, I had mentioned earlier that she um, <clears throat> travels into these other realities and she has a job to do every time she goes there. You know, some little change she's got to make. That comes from, literally from her dreams. When she's In the dream state, she meets a man named Mario, who's her dreamer. And her dreamer is the one who gives her her assignments. So there's a whole magical dreamscape sort of world that she has to dwell in. And then you've got all these alternate realities that she goes to to enact these changes. And 
there's a much larger life and death plot going on with these omnipotent sort of beings that run the dream world that influences all of this. And it's just such magic and such fun. I, I'm really looking forward to everyone having the fun I had when I wrote this. Every time I came up with a new world or a new sort of Jessa she could be or a new sort of thing that could happen in this crazy new place she's going to be at, I mean, we have her eating desserts that make her teeth glow in the dark. She talks to dolphins. Dolphins speak in one of her worlds. Um, you know, she's got, <laughs> you know, we found a way to communicate with them underwater and her father runs this talking dolphin thing. And, you know, there's all kinds of fun things. She's a dancer in one reality and she's, it's just so much fun. There are so many things that she gets to do that normal Jess of the high school student would have never even dreamed of being able to do. Oh, that sounds so exciting. So in, in two days, are we going to have you running around your town like, please read my book? <laughs> oh, wait, wait two days for that. I'm already there. Um, you know, all my, my Facebook friends are surely tired of seeing my posts day after day. And, you know, I'm shouting myself out everywhere I can without trying to be too annoying about it. But but, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be kind of a strange juxtaposition because the truth is I I can't get off work on Tuesday. So I'm going to be at work at my desk while my book is breaking, <laughs> thinking, well, <laughs> I'm almost ready to quit my day job, but not yet, <laughs> not yet. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be fabulous. You know, my book launch, part, book launch party at the end of the month, and I'm going to be signing and doing a reading and I just, oh. And, and the day that the books arrived at my house and I picked it up and, you know, opened it up and stuck my nose in it and smelled it. Oh, and, oh yeah. You have to smell yeah, your book. <laughs> and, yeah, it was lovely. It was lovely. And I picked one up and I was holding it. And my daughter said, let me get a picture of you. And I said, OK. So I flipped it around and she's starting to frame the picture. And she's going, Mom, you have to stop crying. You have to stop crying. But I, you know, this is my baby. It's my baby. And um and Tuesday is graduation day, so it's going to be quite an experience. <laughs> I can't imagine how you could stop crying. You're just like, no, this no. is my book, and it smells so good. <laughs> you know, that's exactly. She's like, she said, are you smelling it? And I'm like, you don't understand. My nose in a book. What's so funny is, yeah, my daughter, my daughter is a product of, you know, she's 15, so everything she's ever read has been on a screen. She's not a lover of like hard book pages. She she reads, you know, on her screen. Oh, I can't read on a screen. It just doesn't yeah. happen. I know. It doesn't do it for me either. But she's always read on a screen. So um, in November, I took a trip to Dublin. Um, I went and visited Dublin for the first time. And I took a tour of Malahide Castle up there. And it was lovely. And I was walking through. And one of the books, one of the spots on the tour was the library room of Malahide Castle. Now, Malahide dates back to, you know, 12th century so it's a pretty old castle <clears throat> and different parts of it have been renovated through the years but the library room had wallpaper in it that was spanish cordoba that dated back 400 years just the just the wallpaper in the library now you know i'm american my country is 200 years old so the, this library wallpaper is 200 years older than my country so i'm standing there in amazement and i leaned into the room because we weren't really allowed to walk into it. It was kind of barred off. And I'm standing in the doorway, leaning in and just inhaling the smell of the old books because there were books on those shelves that went back eight or 900 years. I mean, they, literally, there were old, old, old books. And I'm telling my daughter about this. I'm like, I leaned in and you should have smelled the books in this library. And she just started laughing. She said, oh, my God, Mom, only you could go to a castle. And get all crazy over the smell of the books. And I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand. Oh, no, oh, I understand. Yeah, don't worry. You have to be a bibliophile for that. And I guess I am. So, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. do. Me and my friend's mom are like pro book sniffers. <laughs> my boyfriend thinks it's really weird as well. I'll walk into Waterstones and just to smell it. Like I'm not even looking at books. I haven't even got any money with me. And he'll be like, you're so weird. You can't even walk past without sniffing the shop. And I'm like, you don't get it. <laughs> they need to make a candle that smells like old books. I'm a big fan of Ray Bradbury. And in Martian Crop, he has a, a chapter that opens with, there was a smell of time in the air tonight. And what does time smell like? It smells like old books and rain falling on 
lids of tin and it you know he he goes on and describes the smell of time but old books was one of the smells in that and i i couldn't agree more uh, you know it's 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 like you're taking a trip back in time every time you inhale an old book <laughs> you know that reminds me of another part of my trip in ireland when i was there i went to the national museum of archaeology and as you come in they they walk you through the centuries of Ireland, essentially, and they have stuff going back to the Stone Age. And some of it is um, jewelry that they found in buried in hordes and things like that. And they have this one very large stone with a spiral chiseled into it right near the beginning in the opening you know, area. And it was chiseled out sometime in 800 B.C., and I was standing looking at this thing, and it's very large and very heavy. And I find it fascinating because I was doing some research for another book, and the spiral symbol is actually found in multiple cultures across the world. Uh, it's a sacred symbol in just about every ancient culture. And I, I just find that really fascinating. And I'm looking at this thing, and you know, I kind of give a glance around to make sure nobody's seeing me. And I knelt down a little bit and just kind of gently grazed the spiral with my fingers down near the bottom and, you know, just to be touching the stone, you know. And as I started to leave the room, the one guard that was standing at the doorway, an older gentleman, he leans into me and he said, please don't touch the things. And I said, oh, I'm very sorry. You know, I'll go, I'm caught. I'm terrible. I said, I know I would never do that. But I said, I'm, I really I'm very sorry. And I felt terrible that he he'd caught me doing this. And he said, it's all right. He said, it's just a stone and it is out in the open. He said, we just try to limit people touching it as much as possible. And I said, no, it's fine. I shouldn't have done it. I, you know, I have a real reverence for old things and I, I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. And he said, so you're a writer. <laughs> and I just looked at him. How did you know that? I said, yes, I am. I'm a writer. And he said, it's always the writers that want to trace the pattern. He said, you want, he said, if you were a historian, you'd be glancing at it, maybe making some notes. And he said, but you're a writer. You wanted to touch where that man touched. You touched it down low where not everybody else would touch so that you could touch the exact spot that that man who chiseled that out touched because you want to know about him. You want to know his story. And he said, I see it. And it's usually the writers that do that. So I thought that was just a really amazing, <laughs> amazing sort of thing for him to pick up on. But he was absolutely right. You know, I wanted my fingers to touch where this man possibly had grazed it with his own fingers. I wanted to know his story. I wanted to know what he laughed about and cried about and what was important to him. I want to know about this man from 800 B.C. And that's, I think, what makes us writers. We, we want all the stories. We want to know them all. We want to know everyone's story. We can't stop touching things. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm a bad girl. I but you know, it was just a wonderful moment, and it was almost like an affirmation from him that yeah, <laughs> you've got you've got the science, honey. You're really a writer. <laughs> yeah, you're now officially a writer. You can tell everyone now. <laughs> yeah, because I'm trying to to touch museum property. I'm a writer. The next question um, is one I I took to my Twitter and asked what. Uh, they they'd like to ask writers oh, who are published, and the most common question I've got, and I'm going to ask this to most of my guests, is uh, how do you find ideas, and more importantly, how do you stick to them? Because uh-huh. as I'm sure you know, when when you're trying to think of a story, well, you don't always specifically think about stories when they come, but about 50 tabs open in your head. <laughs> so how how do you pick one and say goodbye to all the others? and say this this is the one um well first of all uh, my biggest biggest thing you can do for yourself in the way of finding um ideas for stories i think is people watch uh you know i love to go to panera bread or you know some little cafe or whatever and sit there with my laptop and just watch people and i make up stories for them in my head (laughs) and you know it, it may just be a jot here and a jot there of you know this person lost you know a a sibling early on and it's shaped them or this person is secretly a secret agent who knows something you know and I'll, I'll write little things like that for myself all the time um 
Also, I, I keep a notebook in my purse. I literally do. Um, and I jot little things. Um, if someone's told me an interesting story about something that happened to a friend of theirs or something they know, and maybe it gives me a little kernel of an idea, uh, I'll go from there. Um, for instance, my next story after um, the Traveler series is done is based on the mythology of ancient Ireland, <laughs> which, you know, came directly from my trip in Dublin. I, I had such inspiration there. So sometimes it's a simple matter of people watching or taking a hike or watching a new movie you normally wouldn't pick um, on Netflix to get a feel for something completely different. Um, but you never know where the inspiration will strike. And sometimes the simplest ideas end up being the best stories. So keep a little notebook on hand or close by your bed. If you have a wacky dream, sit up and write your dream out in the middle of the night. Um, but And sometimes it's just taking those little bits and pieces and combining them in, into ways that a, you wouldn't expect a story to go. And then once you get some rough outlines out there of what you want to be working on, let's say you've got your top three or five story ideas and you've roughly outlined them, run them past people who are in your demographic. Um, you know, I'm lucky I have a teenage daughter, so I can run some story ideas past her. And, I, you know, I have to take that with a grain of salt because truly my daughter's tastes in what she reads are very different than mine. I'm big in sci-fi and fantasy, and she loves horror stories. So, um, But she will tell me straight up if she thinks something sounds really, really stupid. <laughs> you, know, you know, Mom, come on, that's boring. Who would read that? You know, she she punches. Um yeah, I saw an advice post the other day that was saying when you have your manuscript, you shouldn't show your friends and the family because they'll be too nice. You should, like, email people who are in your demographic. And I was like, too nice. Like, <laughs> I, I would say that my family would be the ones who are like, that's terrible. <laughs> and again, you do have to take that with a grain of salt. It might be a terrific idea for a fantasy story, but my daughter doesn't like fantasy stories. So, um, yeah, so you do need to run it by your demographic. And and again, once again, fan fiction comes to my rescue because I have a tremendous amount of, you know, because I write for a for a show that's all about fantasy and and fun and humor and and the sort of things I try to make up. You know, that's another thing about Travelers. It's a very humorous book. There's a lot of funny things that go on. Um, and I love to work humor and fantasy together um, and then throw in the little, you know, tear jerking moments and the, you know, the angsty moments that, that sort of flesh it all out. But um, yeah, you need to find people in your target demographic. You need to listen with an open ear because, um, you know, they also have their own personal biases as to why they will and won't like your story. So it's just like with book reviews, you can't, can't take it all at face value because there might be underlying things going on there. So Take it as a guide, but don't take it set in stone. If this is the story that you want to write, if this is the story that's eating you alive and this is the story that's keeping you awake at night, then that's the story you need to write. Um, and if you're not that in love with your story, if you've got five story ideas right in front of you and you're still kind of vacillating about, well, I could do this one or I could do that one, maybe I'll do that. If not one of them is sticking out at you and saying, you can't ignore me, you've got to write me right now, then my advice to you is you've got five wrong stories in front of you. Um, because the truth is, if it's the story you should be writing, it's going to take you over. <laughs> you know, it's almost like demonic possession. You can't get away from the story. And that's that's the mark of the good story. That's the mark of the story that you need to write. You've got so many like fridge magnet worthy quotes in this interview today. <laughs> <laughs> If it's not demonic possession, it's not worth it. <laughs> Honestly, I've had characters keep me up at night. I've had moments where I was, you know, out at the shopping mall and I saw someone doing something and thought, oh, my God, that is exactly what Jessa would do. Look at this girl. Look at how she's – look at the argument she's having with that guy. That is scene five of chapter four right there. Look at the look in her eye, you know. This is the kind of thing – that tells you your brain is on the right track for this story. And and when you hit a wall and you're going to hit a wall, you're going to hit several walls in that story. I mean, there have been days when I thought, oh, I, I might as well just drop this and pick up something else because this is going nowhere. There may be a day when you need to do that. You know, step back. Don't write this book today. 
If you got another story tickling your brain, start writing a little outline and fleshing that out a little bit today and go back to the other story tomorrow. But the important thing is to go back to the other story. Um, you know, again, a published book is a book that's been written. <laughs> if you don't write it, it's never going to get published and it's never going to be done. And, you know, you, you have to find the discipline within you just to, to hammer through sometimes. And I think Neil Gaiman said once <clears throat> he was talking about the whole process of getting through writer's block and how do you make word count? And he said, you just sit down and you just write it, you know, and he said, at the end of the day, when I go back and revisit my manuscript and I'm going back through it again, I can't tell you which brilliant lines came from a creative burst and which ones came from the fact that I had to make word count that day. Because once the thing is done, I don't even remember which was which. And if you're going to sit around and wait until you're creative to write this thing, it's never going to get written. So it's it's a mix of both. It's a mix of creativity and it's a mix of discipline. That's really good advice. Thank you. Girl. Well, thank Neil Gaiman because he's absolutely right. You know, when I sit down and read back through, I can't tell you which ones were the ones where I went, oh, I've got to say this right now. And the other ones where I went, well, I put that down and that looks all right. Yeah. OK. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. To wrap up the interview, my, I always ask my guests this. What are three to five, sort of whatever you can, uh, books slash stories that have stayed with you? Not necessarily favourites, but books that are just... Oh, books that are always there. Uh, the Martian Chronicles, Ray Bradbury. I'm going old school here, I know. Um, A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. I, that was one of my earliest and probably one of the earliest YA novels ever. Um, but I, you see a thread of that in this story because Meg, the protagonist in A Wrinkle in Time, had a very deep love of her family and her love for her brother Charles Wallace was really integral in the story. And I, I tried to carry a little echo of that into Jessa and her relationship with Danny. So, so that was a big one. Um, hmm. And beyond that, I would say the entire Harry Potter series. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's it's probably an easy answer to give, but come on. It, what what series of books got children reading at the degree that that one did? And what series of books could adults read alongside with their children and be just as spellbound? Just as spellbound, uh, maybe even more so. And, you know, as an, I began reading those stories as an adult and the parallels you see within them to life and, and the world around us. <laughs> you know, Dolores Umbridge comes to mind as I sit here in the United States oh. right now. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you, you realize that villains come in all shapes and sizes and are shaped by many, many things and not just by their own inner demons, but by by the push and flow of the crowds around them. And I think that series really, really got to the heart of the things that, that we choose to define us, you know, the, the importance of choice in your life and the choices you make. Yeah. There's a lot of things going on in the world right now that Harry Potter 100% applies to. Oh, yeah. And God bless Joe Rowling because she is just really kicking butt and taking names on Twitter these days. And God love her for yeah, her Twitter's gold right now. <laughs> Twitter's always gold, but right now, boy, I just, I want to kiss her on the mouth. She's amazing. <laughs> I'm sure she'd be pleased to know. <laughs> and, and, you know, also one of my personal heroes, because it's a well-known story that she faced numerous rejections before Harry Potter got published. And she was writing that book on a train on her way back from the employment office looking for work as a single mother. <laughs> you know, so I I really feel for many parts of her personal journey. I, you know, God willing, I'll be a multi-billionaire someday. But, you know, I'll take what I can get for now. All right. You, you better still thank me when you are a multi-billionaire. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, congratulations on your book publishing. I can't wait. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. And I hope I can see you again in a year when Dreamer comes out. That's the sequel. And.
thanks for listening to episode 2 of Beth's Bookshelf. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in reading Traveller, which you should be, there'll be a link below where you can purchase it. If you're listening on iTunes, head to my blog, bethanyashley.com, to read the accompanying blog post. You can also watch the book trailer over there, and I'll leave links to Ellie's website and social media channels. There'll be a new episode every Sunday. Thanks again for listening. Bye! Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.